Hello and welcome to the Sports Crowd Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. And with me across the desk, as per usual, is the glowing Ruben Williams. How are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. I had one of the uh, all-time most productive days of my life yesterday, so I'm right. feeling feeling it right on top of things. Is that right? Why was it so I, I, productive? I got like all my life admin done. I did two loads of washing, cleaned my sheets. Jeez. I booked my flights to Qatar. I'm going to the FIFA World Cup. That's coming up. Wow. I renewed my driver's license, which was a little bit overdue. Shh, eyes, and that reminds me. I've got to, <laughs> I've got to renew my third-party insurance on my car. <laughs> yeah. That, that shows you how good my car is. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, did a bit of work and then uh, went for a 14-kilometre run after work. Got home. <laughs> Got home, made a lasagna. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize how long lasagnas take, but got that in. I had some sheets in the cupboard, so I thought I better use the lasagna sheets. Yeah, and then after that was done, I drafted a new page for the website. So I'm feeling great. <laughs> you've um, that's like a, a home run. Like you've you've nailed like the fitness. You've done the life admin. Mm. You've done the work. Mm. You've done the cooking. Yeah, which is very unlike you. You're not very big, unlikely. You you eat to live. You don't eat to enjoy. And the lasagna is like two-hour end-to-end process. Yeah, that's massive. <laughs> that is absolutely massive. Well, well done. Thank you. Uh, that's incredible. 14Ks as well. That's just out of this world. Anyway, we could talk about that all day. We could unwrap that whole day, but we, we better not. <laughs> Let's get cracking because today is an awesome episode. Uh, I'm Ryan Walker. He's Reuben Williams, as I mentioned, and we are two mates who met at Cricket Australia, and now we help people find their own dream job through this very podcast and our online community. If you want to follow us, head over to LinkedIn, or even better, if you want to connect with us and hundreds of others working in sport, jump into the Sports Grad community. Speaking of the Sports Grad community, a quick shout out to all our beloved members who are hanging out on Discord together. We love that you guys are involved. And a special shout out to Cooper Irwin, one of our favourites living up on the central coast of Sydney, yeah. who's recently just relocated to Melbourne because he's got a brand new job with the Collingwood Football Club, the marvellous Collingwood Football Club. And he's got the role of member and fan services officer. So well done to you, Cooper. Uh, but if you are like Cooper and you want to get a foot in the door of the sports industry, or if you're like Collingwood and you want to you want to hire some incredible people quickly and easily, or you just want to connect with other not like-minded people in the sports industry and grow your network, join the SportsGrad community. To do so, you can head to www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash community to get involved. Brilliant. Well done, Cooper. One of the very best in our community. He's a great guy. Now, Rubes, exercise and nutrition are increasingly in the spotlight and for good reason. Deakin is the number one ranked sports science school in the world. You heard that, the world, Mm. which is incredible. At Deakin, you don't just learn about the future of sport. You can access it with state-of-the-art facilities, cutting-edge research and advanced technology all at your fingertips. As an international leader in sports education, Deakin prepares you to shape the sports industry of tomorrow. So check out Deakin's website today and get all the info on how you can quite literally shape the future of the sports industry. Mm. Now, Ryan, we have a brilliant guest on today. Oh, yeah, we do. Cal Burns is the National Recruiting Manager, and he is also the longest standing staff member of the Gold Coast Suns ever since it kicked off. Yeah. But way back when... Cal actually got rejected from university, so he had to really bang the door down to get into a, an exercise science degree at uh, ACU. And then he upheaved his life to take on a volunteering role on the Gold Coast. He wasn't getting paid. The Gold Coast sons were just in uh, the infancy. And he got this volunteer role up at the Gold Coast. So he left uh, Victoria, left Melbourne had to support himself by doing some hospitality jobs up in the Gold Coast. Eventually that turned into a casual role, it turned into yeah. a more permanent role, and he's been there for, for 12 years since. But Cal has got some incredible stories and some cre- incredible insights on what goes on behind the scenes in the AFL. But one of the great things to look out for in this episode is the key elements that recruiters look for when they are selecting players in the AFL draft. It's one of the hottest topics of the AFL calendar, who's going in the draft, and these guys are at the centre of that stage. So to understand what goes on behind the scenes was fascinating. 
Yeah, we were like a couple of pigs in mud, weren't we, at the, at the uh, <laughs> for the first bit of that, just asking questions left, right and centre. Um, I love it. And, and what I didn't sort of realise was you don't actually need a specific degree to get into recruiting. You know, Cowders has like a bit of a knowledge in it and he talks about a few things that he's done along the way. But, you know, it's just kind of, you know, there's different things you can do as a recruiter uh, and he kind of goes through all those and it is quite insightful. Mm. And then finally, just hearing all the ins and outs of the AFL trade period, which is going on at the moment. So have a listen to this. You'll understand exactly what's going on. You'll hear all the behind-the-scenes stuff of, of what it's like to work during you know the most hectic two weeks of the AFL calendar, but um, a lot to look forward to with Cal. Yeah, let's get into it. Grab a pen. Enjoy this chat with Cal Burns. Cal. Welcome to the Sportsgrade podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Cal, we've just found out that you are the longest standing staff member at the Gold Coast Suns. How does it feel to kind of be there through the whole conception of the of the club? Oh, it's a privilege and an honour, to be honest. Um, I love the footy club and very grateful for the opportunity they've given me. And when you, when you first started the club, how, talk us through how did that come about and do you remember when you got the call up to say, hey... Cal, we really want you to be a part of the club. Yeah, I remember it really vividly. Um, I, I was playing just local footy uh, for the Beaconsfield Football Club out in the southeast, and and did my shoulder, and that ended my my season. Um, I was studying exercise science at ACU in the city, and uh, and went on a holiday. So football was over for the year for me. So me and a mate packed up and went to the Gold Coast, and it just so happened that weekend, uh, Gold Coast were playing in the VFL. They were playing against Werribee at Southport. So went along, had a look, and could tell that there weren't many staff at the football club. It yeah. was so new that um, they were on skeleton staff. And I just saw an opportunity and thought, geez, I'd love to be involved in, in the upcoming Suns and try and get on, on board wherever I can. So um, made a few phone calls for a few mates that were, that were playing AFL and um, just so happened that, that one of their sports science guys was moving up to the coast and he gave me the contact details, got in touch and snowballed from there. I'm really lucky to be given an opportunity to, to go up and I volunteered. So... Um, they gave me the opportunity and I just said, yep, look, I'll come up and do whatever you want me to do in the sports science department. I'll volunteer my time. Um, so relocated to the Gold Coast and worked in a bar to wow. get me through financially and uh, and took the opportunity and it progressed really quickly from there. So you <laughs> upheaved your life to take up a volunteer opportunity? Yeah, up in Queensland, absolutely. Wow. It was just such a great opportunity to get into the industry and um, thought that was my chance, so I took it. Wow. <laughs> And 12 years later, you're the longest standing Gold Coast Suns member. That's it, yeah. It <laughs> seems like it's gone pretty quickly when you look back there and I remember it really vividly and um, they were just really exciting times. It was a new footy club. The Gold Coast was a buzz and uh, it was great to be there. And at what point did they say, all right, Cal, we're going to move you into a paid position? Yeah, so it was pretty quickly. Um, there wasn't a whole heap of football people around that had knowledge of the game. Now, I'm certainly no expert, but had knowledge of the game. And um, I was working in the sports science department, but the IT guys need some analytical help um, watching and coding games. And look, by the end of the first pre-season that I was there, um, I got an opportunity to go and sit in the coach's box and, and cut edits live on game day for Shane O'Brien, who was our midfield coach at the time. And um, having going and, and working weekends and travelling with the team initially, um, I wasn't able to work my bar job, which on weekends, as everyone knows, in hospitality, that's where you make your money. Um, so the club were good enough to, to allow me to, to invoice them for my time and that was it. It was, it was a way there as a contractor and, and really quickly, 12 months later, it was a full-time role. Nice. And obviously, how, how did that transition happen to now become national recruiting manager? Because that's quite a, a step from a volunteer position to the top job, basically. Yeah, it was 12 years, so it yeah. <laughs> hasn't happened that quickly, yeah. but um, there's been a few steps along the way. So sports science still continued for for throughout that first year when I was doing analytics as well. Um, I was doing GPS analysis, which yeah. um, was sort of what I was I was studying at university and understanding, so that's, that was my bread and butter. Um, but the analytics stuff came really naturally to me. I loved the game and, and had a pretty good sense of um, an understanding of patterns and play and transition. So I was able to, to do the analytical piece, um, and then also help set up the coaches box game day in the IT. So it was a bit of a, a really mixed role early on. Um, then probably as I got my found my feet a bit more, that's year two, year three. And then by year four in analytics, I was doing some stuff for our recruiting department. Um, I just found like I could um, really add some value to their department. They were on skeleton staff as it was. So 
um, doing some stuff for them down in recruiting. They thought, geez, how good's this? Mm. No, they, they were able to then forge a position full-time for me, so I moved down back to Melbourne, um, worked in the recruiting department for a few years and then uh, got lucky enough to be given the opportunity to be national recruiting manager. Nice. And do you think a, a sports science background is critical to be able to do your job? No, I don't think it is. It's a great question. Um, I think it's such a varied role that um, if, you, if you're talking about recruiting specifically, there's just mm. so many facets to it, whether it's psychology, um, even HR would work. Um, sports science just seems to be the niche that I can bring to it. But there's people in business, there's people from all sorts of things with marketing backgrounds that have come into recruiting that, that just really um, immerse themselves in the space and give themselves the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, nice. It's funny how you can do so many different degrees and they all lead to the same job or a variety yeah. of jobs that you never expected as well. Yeah. But um, Cal, if you were around at the Gold Coast Suns from the very beginning, did you have much of an influence on bringing Gary Ablett, the best player in the competition at the time, <laughs> to the Gold Coast Suns? Absolutely not. <laughs> had no say in that. I was like anybody else listening on the radio when I was um, at uni, I was actually working a landscaping job. So I remember listening to the radio, you know, in, in, my, um, in my break, probably having a chocolate big M or something, listening to... <laughs> What's about to play out and Gary's about to come up to the club, which was really exciting for us and, and knowing that I was heading up to the Gold Coast um, and to work in the sports science department where you're really hands-on with the playing group was was quite exciting to see all that play out. Yeah. Know. Nice. People I might, might have thought you were the, the culprit for bringing the goat <laughs> up, up to the coast. Yeah. Um, well, tell us a bit about what your day-to-day looks like at the moment because it sounds like quite a, a varied role and interesting that you are doing it from Victoria rather than up on the Gold Coast inside the club. So tell us, what, what does your days and, and weeks look like? Yeah, it's quite unique in that respect that um, every club is based out of Melbourne, whether you're West Coast, Fremantle, Sydney, Gold Coast, Brisbane, the recruiting departments are all based out of here. Now, there's a few reasons for that. Clearly, that's most of the talent pool comes from the NAB League typically. So we'd say 60% of the draft pool comes from here in Victoria. So it's great to be on the ground down here. But you've also got most of the management company. So you, you're always in contact with them. And it's also a great hinge point to get around Australia. So this, this eastern corner is great to get up eastern yeah. seaboard or, or get west to Adelaide or, or to Perth or even down to Tassie. So it's a great little hinge point for travel, which we do a lot of. Um, speaking about the, the varied role and the day-to-day tasks, it, it's quite exciting that it changes um, and it's quite dynamic each day. So, look, it can be something like wake up in the morning and, and watch a whole heap of vision back from the weekend and then field a lot of phone calls from talent managers or, or getting on the front foot with them as well and checking in on on how players have pulled up or what might be coming from the week uh, ahead and then also checking in with, with managers. I mean, agents are a, a big part of what we do, so always on the front foot with agents, checking on players and where they might be falling in the draft pool. Um, but we also have a really big team. So there's 11 of us around the country and... And leading that team's a huge privilege. I've got outstanding staff um, and, and we meet and speak frequently and, and what they do is, is unbelievable and that all feeds in and we make decisions together. We're a big unit, our recruiting department, um, and I love leading those bunch of blokes. They're, they're great people. And so when you, when you refer to checking in on players, are these players outside of the Gold Coast Suns? Yeah, so talent pathway players or mm. state league players, um, absolutely, that's that's what we track. Um, we're tracking players from the age of 15 through to their draft year in 18 and, and now into our 19th year that still stay part of that talent pathway program, um, but also mature age. I mean, that's a, been a huge space that's exploded recently with the introduction of the mid-season draft. So, yeah, there's plenty to watch and plenty to track. <laughs> you'd, you'd love watching footy, wouldn't you? <laughs> You've got to love yeah. watching <laughs> footy, yeah. That's a non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, I want to ask about how you communicate with agents and, and managers because, you know, I'd imagine it, it can be often a, a tricky conversation. You know, it can be a kind of a love-hate relationship between the two. But what are those conversations consisting of? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, it's probably more a lot of love than hate. I mean, we yeah. all work together. They understand um, where we're trying to get and we understand what they're trying to do as, a, as an yeah. agent leading their client. So um, we all work together pretty closely. But, I mean, it varies. At the start of the year, it might be just checking in to see who they've listed and who they have on their books for the year coming up. Um, and then it's all sorts of things like, oh, look, how have you found their family? Um, are they going through any injury struggles at the moment? How's their schooling going? And then as you get towards the point end of the year, where do you think they're going to fall in the in the draft? You know, yep. where do we need to position ourselves if we want this bloke? And then also being an interstate club, um, the go-home factor. So how's he going to transition? Is our club best place to support him? Which um, clearly from our point of view, we, we feel like our structure's really good to support all the players. So we'd back ourselves in. But just getting an understanding of 
you know, what might be the best living arrangement for that player? And that could be short term. It might be, hey, for the first six months, get through pre-season, where should they be? And then when they find their feet, let's evolve them and move them out into another place. Yeah. So will that be part of your almost retention play? Like how can we get someone up to the club but then keep them around? You're not only looking at who else we can bring into the team so that they can be a good footballer, but how we can set them up locally, give them someone to live, give them some friends to hang out with so they feel like they're a part of something. Is that all part of it? Oh, it's an enormous aspect. Absolutely, right. yeah, yeah. The whole, um, oh, particularly the outside of, so clearly there's football and, and engaging in the program, but something we really stress at our football club is having something outside of football, whether that be a trade or a degree or whatever it wants to be. We certainly support that and it just really helps the player, I guess in their football, it helps them freshen up and have something outside of the club. Um, but also helps them grow friendship groups outside of the playing group, which, I mean, the, clearly the playing group, when you're interstate, they become your family. You, they mm. do everything together, but it's also nice for them to, to grow their friendship group outside of that and, and just have something else to lean mm. on as they go. Yeah. Do you find that um, interstate clubs, when I say interstate, non-Victorian clubs, uh, bond more quickly or better than some Victorian clubs because you've got more people who are away from their friends and, fr- friends and family and need to gather? Yeah, it's a fair question. I, I can't speak personally because I haven't worked at a, a Victorian mm. football club, so I don't know the ins and outs of how that happens. I can only speak to what I've seen at Gold Coast. Um, but what I've seen is that those players create a bond really, really quickly. Um, often the day after we draft them, they're on the plane together and, and I accompany them up to the Gold Coast. So it starts from that moment. Um, and sometimes it's even started before that if if we've drafted mates. I mean, Noah and Matt that we drafted out of Oakley. Uh, pick one and two. We, I mean, clearly that was a targeted approach. Let's bring these two up. They're great friends, and then that bond and that chemistry continues through. Yeah. How much weight do you put on performance v personality? You know, off field, um, I guess qualities. Because you know, in my mind, it's like you want to bring someone up to the Gold Coast. You got to take them away, possibly from their family, friends. You know, would you take a player that is? maybe not as good but you know you can see some better qualities off field rather than the best possible player with possibly some issues off field like how how do you weight those in your mind it's a really good question and i guess from my perspective we see ourselves as information gatherers so as the years go on as i said from 15s up until they're drafted whether that's 18 or 19 or as mature age we're, we're gathering information um, and a big part of that information is absolutely the psychological side. Now, yeah. we're very lucky. We have our head of so, um, psychology at the football club, Tristan Calder, who sits in and, and takes care of our interview process. Um, and he gives us great feedback from all things on their psychometric data, but also their interview um, and how he thinks they'll transition. Now, from, from me, from a recruiting manager perspective, when it comes to draft time, it's, it's our role to put all those pieces together and make the most informed decision based on our football club. Yeah. And, and again, it's got to be the right fit for your club. So where are we at culturally? Where are we at in our build? And what is our current playing group? And I, I really like to engage our playing group and, and get their opinion. Look, this is the player. This is the information we've got. Feel free to come and sit in on the interview if you like. Come and watch his vision. I really want their take. because It's going to be their teammate at the mm. end of the day, so mm. I really want their input in that. And would that be more of a leadership group? type player to sit in those or would you open it up to the wider group yeah typically leadership group and then there might be one or two players that you'd think well if this player comes in that would be a strong bond that they'd form whether they're going to be living yeah. together or whether they're in the same um, stage of their development pathway that or they might be in the same line it might be a defender that you might be bringing into the back six so hey yeah. come and have a look at this guy and i'd really like your your feedback on if you think that's a teammate you'd like to have yeah and the you mentioned your information gatherers. What What's the tool that you'd use to gather all that information? Because you'd have thousands of different bits of stuff that you're just gathering from each player. How do you manage it all? Where, where does it sit? It's a really good question. It's something that's evolved, I think, quickly over the last five years from when I first came in as just a, a recruiter, full-time recruiter to now. Um, five years down the track as recruiting manager, I feel like that the technology is really evolve quickly and given mm. us opportunities to house all that data. So um, we have a system that we, we pay for through Champion Data called Scout um, that holds a lot of our information. That's got vision and also oh. our reports. So we have guys all around the country pumping in reports and it's really important that those reports are filed in yeah. a manner that we can access them quickly. Um, so we, we punch everything in there, but we've also got um, drop boxes and spreadsheets and all sorts of things that we house information and data on as well. The whiteboard, perhaps, <laughs> the big whiteboard <laughs> in the office, yeah. I'd imagine. I think that's what everyone envisions in the big <laughs> national recruiting manager office. Yep. It's got the whiteboard, a top 100 prospects <laughs> there just written in. <laughs> the war room. Yeah, the yeah. war room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just out of interest, are there any curly questions that you would ask a potential draft pick in their interview? 
Yeah, I, well, I think some clubs would. I don't know, back in the day where you used to as well. I feel like it's evolved now where, I mean, personally, I like it to come from a place of support. I like mm. our interview to be, I'm not trying to trip a player up. It's not, a, I mean, the way we frame it, it's not even an interview. Your interview is playing football. Mm. That's where we're assessing your talent mm. for the role. That's your interview. This is an opportunity to get to know you on a deeper level and get to send if you're a cultural fit for our football club. So, look, it's quite a different road that we take with our interview. Um, we like to really sit back and just get to get to know the player and let them speak about their life, get to know them on a deeper level and understand if we're, we're best fit to support them in their journey. Do you have any examples of some questions that would seem a bit rogue that you've you, know, you guys have either asked or heard around the industry? Oh, I reckon around combine, keep your eyes open. We're about to go into the National Combine in a couple of weeks yeah. and I feel like that's where you get the rogue ones because we all might have done <laughs> our full-scale interview with these players yeah. uh, and then if you get to combine, you get 20 minutes. So yeah. we get a, a, a batch of players that we're allowed to speak to for 20 minutes and because you've already done your full-scale interview, you might get a bit more specific so the curly questions might come. I remember one we did one year at a combine was um, we showed them an image of, of two cyclists going up. It was, a, it was the Tour de France. And uh, they were at the top of a peak. It might have been up to Wes. And it was kind of like, well, this is cyclist one, cyclist two. Which cyclist are you and why? Um, and you get some interesting answers. I'm cyclist two because cyclist one was a drug cheat. Or <laughs> that's why I was losing or whatever yeah. it might be. But they come up with some curly answers. Yeah, yeah. it's good fun. Yeah. Nice. Fantastic. Um, last question on this before we get on to a bit more about your, your journey. But a question that has always stuck in my mind around like how do you find the the number one formula that's going to tell you if a player is going to succeed or not. And I'm keen to sort of get your view on sort of why does a player fail and, and why does one do really well and what's sort of like that consistent one or two things that they have that always result in success. I'm sure Jeez. you've got your own theory or you may <laughs> not, but, yeah, I'm sure everybody's trying to find like what are the two things they must have which will equal success in their career. Yeah, that's the million-dollar question. If yeah. I knew that, I reckon we'd be a bunch of champions and we wouldn't lose a game. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what we're all searching for. Um, I think as you evolve and, and get to understand the industry more and understand your own football club and the journey that your football club's on, I think you're better placed to answer that. Now, I think that what I try and do is is reflect the players that we're bringing into our club, suits the journey that we're on. Um, now, one thing I'll never negotiate on is competitiveness. They have to be a competitor. Um, it's a ruthless industry and it can be quite a monotonous and boring industry time for the players i mean um the general public gets to see the two hours where they're on display and that can be in front of a hundred thousand play um fans and spectators yeah. at the mcg which is outstanding and that's i mean that's the razzle dazzle of the industry and that's why we all fall in love with it mm. um, but behind the scenes it's really um quite a challenging industry for players to be to be in and front up every day and work really hard and back that up and back that up and back that up when everyone else is doing the same thing um, so you're always trying to improve against a, a community of people that are trying to improve, which is really challenging. Um, so I feel like that you have to be a natural competitor to get through that and understand to um, work your way throughout that journey. So I find that's an absolute non-negotiable. Mm. It's a it's a, it's a great comment and I'm sure I had a meeting yesterday at Carlton Footy Club and I was just in the cafeteria and I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying, but there was one guy in the gym that was, I think his name's Sam Durden. Corey Durden, I forgot the, one of the names, but he's obviously just had surgery and he's in a sling and he's doing some leg presses. There's no one else in the gym. And it's like, well, that's pretty lonely. You know, like you're, you're just, you're injured. You can't do what you want to do, but you're in there still on your own. So you're, you're dead right. It's like, I can imagine it's all fun when there's 100,000 people at the G, um, but behind closed doors. A lot of it's going to be on your own. Kind yeah. of lonely. Oh, the, make make the rest, no mistake. The rest about of the blues would be on holidays too. Yeah, yeah that's right. They're exactly. all in Europe enjoying yeah. the sun. Yeah. It's a it's a ruthless industry, um, and we really understand that. And almost empathise with the players on the journey that they're on and how challenging it is. Um, so it's it's up to us to identify those players that we think that can come into that and succeed. Mm. Mm. In terms of your journey and your progression over the twelve years, um, and the steps you've taken to progress, are there any? Uh, things that you've had to learn along the way or any extra training that you've had to do or anyone you've reached out to to say, gee, I could really learn from that experience? Yeah, probably too many to mention. I'm, I'm so fortunate to have been surrounded by the people that I have and um, to have, have been able to learn from them and, and for them to, to accept me and bring me in and trust me along their journey to, um, to sitting with them and, and assist them in whatever way that I could at the time. 
Um, so I guess look, going right, right back, my parents, I was so lucky to be raised the way I was. Um, I feel like that set me set me up on my journey all the way through to university. Um, I just took every opportunity that came to me at uni. I, I didn't initially get into the course that I wanted to get into. I ended up getting into health science out at Bandura, La Trobe, and mm. that was a track back then. There was no um, there was no East Link, so it was <laughs> it was on the train into the city and then catching a tram all the way out to Bandura. And they were they were dark days, but um, what I did is I just forced my way into ACU. I, I pestered them. I rang them every day and said, "Look, if I get this." Uh, course done at Bandura. If I if I do a couple of units, get HDs. Will you let me in? Can I can I pay fees up front? Which you know I had to work in hospitality to save the money to do. But I just knew I wanted to get into that course at ACU because that would set me up. Um, wow. So just pretty dogged determination, I think, to to get through those wow. days. Um, which I did. I got those two HDs that I needed in a, in anatomy and biomechanics, <laughs> which yeah I remember fondly. Um, yeah. and, and then yeah, getting the opportunity to go to ACU, which I thought was the, the degree that would set me up in sport. Um, and then I think when I was at ACU, I just took every opportunity. I, I feel like it's it's just as important to understand what you don't want to do in sport as what it is that you do want to do. So I took every opportunity golf days and I remember one event was a, um, a hospitality event at the town hall in Box Hill. I don't know what I was doing there, but it was someone that needed help and I thought it would be a great network, networking opportunity. Um, just took, took the most of everything that came at me that ACU could offer. Um, and I feel like that that led me down the right path of, of meeting the right people that could influence me and also understanding within sport there's so, so such a diverse range of jobs that you can do. I found out probably what I didn't want to do and then I knew, well, this is the path I'd like to take um, and just found every opportunity to, to get into that. Were you always quick to jump on those opportunities or did you ever um and ah about whether it would be worth it, for example, say this golf day, do you see the event and think, oh, that could be good, but oh, no, nah, nothing will probably come from it, so I'll just stick to my own thing. And then the last minute you go, actually, no, I should do it. I'll just force myself to go. And then it's a good question. Probably early it was probably that. It was like, gee, what, what would I get out of that? And then once you start to do them, you understand the people you meet and the opportunity yeah. you present. And what's typically you find at those things that you go to is there's guest speakers. Mm. So you get to hear from guest speakers and, and take on that information and then use that as you go forward and think, gee, that's a – great opportunity i'll take the next one there's a good guest speaker to learn and start adding and filling up your bucket did you um did you go to those events alone or did you bring people with you um every now and then like probably other people from uni so we jump yeah. in together i think you always like to turn up with someone that you yeah. know when you're going to an event that you wouldn't typically know anybody at so you'd say to oh, a mate that's doing the course hey i'm going to jump into this are you afraid you want to come along yeah yeah mm. yep. no it's awesome it just sounds like i look back at my time at uni i just want to shut down to that or be like, no no, yeah. no i can't do that but Listen to that, it's it's great. It's kind of like what – that is the blueprint for what people should be doing. Yeah, it's mm. funny. So I probably wasn't your typical um, – so when you say you shut down, you probably wouldn't go and like, jump on the front yeah, foot. I, I wasn't like – so I wasn't your um, – I wouldn't go to like the booze days or anything like that. Like I wasn't yeah. probably as social at uni, but I I wanted to make the most of my time there in regards to opportunities that presented. So, yeah, um, that's, that's how I engaged the university as opposed mm. to probably the real social events and hanging around at uni. I'd come in and get out. You know, yeah, as soon as yeah. my lectures were done, that's <laughs> yeah. what I was doing. But, <laughs> but um, look, always looking on the billboard or getting the emails yeah. to say, "Gee, what can I, what can I jump in?" At? And did you always have this role in sight? Like, is that what you were building towards? Uh, so going right back to a kid, footy was my absolute passion and dream, and that's that's never changed or wavered. Yeah. Um, I remember just one of your typical kids in the backyard kicking the footy, pretending it's grand final day, kicking yeah. the winning goal. Yeah, so football's been a, a burning yeah. desire in my belly. Um, so I never playing thought or that, working in it. <laughs> yeah, that's, but I probably never thought, gee, I'm going to work in AFL. Yeah. There's a couple of moments I remember really vividly going to the MCG and watching a bloke working for Essendon. He must have been in the sports science department. He was bringing out the footballs. They must have had footballs on the bench those days and um, it was probably early 2000s and he was carrying the footballs. And I remember leaning over the fence going, hey, mate, how'd you get that job? What a great job. And then, I mean, I was probably 13, 14 years old. I never thought about it again until yeah. maybe I started working in the industry. But I guess along the way, I always wanted to just focus on what jobs are in footy and how, how could I do that? Yeah. Nice. In, in terms of where that drive comes from, because I'd say like, you, you know, that kind of uni student who goes out there and goes to every opportunity is probably you know, the top 5% of students who are motivated to actually get out there and do stuff. In terms of where that comes from, um, is that in any way, shape or form linked to that first rejection of not getting into uni or is it somewhere else? Like where do you become this person that's like, I've got to make the most of every opportunity? Yeah, I think you're right. I think not being um, accepted into ACU initially 
probably motivated me more to want to get in there and prove myself. I think you're right. Um, yeah, I just saw that as a course that I knew a few people that had gone before me that, that were in that course and the opportunities they got from being within that course mm-hmm. um, really set them up for the future. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. That's maybe what drove me to, to really want to make the most of it. Yeah, because like, you see a lot of examples of people who are having great success and it's often stemmed from some sort of failure in any sense of it. And I think you're a great example of someone who's been able to create this incredible career off the back of one failure. And so I think it's 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 great for people listening who might be going through some sort of adversity thinking, oh, well, this is the end of it. Well, no, it can actually springboard you to a lot more than you perhaps could have achieved without that sort of extra motivation. Yeah, there are always turning points. I think rejection or um, failure is, is always a turning point in your life and it's just the way you look at it. And if you see it as a learning opportunity, then I think you're always going to be better off. Were there any other failures along the way or, or was that enough to drive you? I'm sure there's been plenty. <laughs> I'm sure there's been plenty and there'll be plenty more to come. Um, but, yeah, look, if I just keep looking at it that way positively and seeing I always look for the opportunity. What opportunity does this present um, and what can I do about it? What's in my control or what if, what's not in my control? What can I try and hang on to and, and bring into my control? Well, yeah, I think I'll be okay. Nice. Um, what are some essential skills that you need to, to do your job right now? Um, so I think a managerial role is yeah, relationships. Everything's relationships. My staff are everything to me. I love them. Um, I trust them. And I, I guess my philosophy is I want them to have experiences and exposure to be able to become the best they be, basically to the point where they can do my role and they'd be poached somewhere else. But I want to create a culture where they'd love to stay. Um, that's one thing I, I really strive for. So always... I think for my role is to be a manager and lead these people and lead them to be the best they can be. And I think then as a department, we get the best out of everybody and, and we'll get the best results as a department because everybody has that autonomy in their role um, to be able to feel like that they're, they're actually influencing the decision-making, which they are, um, which I, I love them to do. I think that motivates anybody no matter what role you're in. It could be, yeah, I've worked in... Um, Re- retail, I've worked in restaurants, I've worked as a landscaper, as I said earlier. It doesn't matter what job you're in. If you feel like you're making an impact, I feel like you'll, you'll turn up every day and give 100% and that's that's something I want for my staff and that's the opportunity I want to afford them, yeah. Mm. And how about skills in relation to um, uh, the recruitment roles? So going out and spotting talent, what sort of skills are involved in that? Yeah, it probably evolves. I don't think you're born with that skill. Or maybe you are, I'm not too sure. But I feel like you hone it as you go and you learn from people. So I think going to watch football, I think naturally what I'm good at is looking at what type of characteristics or what attribute mix is certain um, is going to help a player transform into a role on, on the AFL field. So if it's a key defender, what attributes make up a key defender? Um, they're going to be different to the attributes that make up a midfielder, whether that's inside, outside mid, or the, the hybrid mids that you see up and down the field, um, the outside mids, what attributes. And that's I think that's really important, understanding what fundamental skills are required for that role, specifically to that player on the field as they progress up into AFL. Um, so that's something I feel like I'm, I'm quite uh, – I've honed my skills in and that, that's something I feel like I can, mm. can analyse relatively quickly um, and and feed that information through to our team and also into my decision-making process. So it sounds like it comes down to being able to understand the attributes attributes, and then being able to spot them. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of yeah, and uh, there's no doubt that the, the sports science backgrounds really helped me there because um, AFL is such, uh, such an athletic brand of football now. I mean, the, the power and the speed and the endurance of these guys and the physicality, it's unbelievable what they do on, on a weekend and also during the week to get them there. So... Um, I feel like that that background and the biomechanical background that we had through that degree has really helped me. Are you involved in the um, AFLW program at all? No, I'm not. They have their own um, set of recruiting department. They have their own list manager and they have their own head of football. It's great. Mm. Um, I'm really pleased for where football's gone and the engagement that women are getting. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Does Is recruitment of players in AFLW, given this? I guess the infancy of the league, is it different in any way, shape or form to the men's? It's a good question. I think fundamentally you'd still be, I actually don't know, but I guess fundamentally you'd be looking for the same things. You're looking for competitors Mm. because, again, it's such a competitive and combative sport. Um, There's no doubt that there's an athletic profile to it and also, yeah, the skill set as well. So Mm. I think it'd be relatively similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did did an internship for AFL Victoria way, way back. This is right, I think, yeah, 2015, 2016. And uh, they sent me out to the under-15s and under-18s women's NAB league and said, if you can look out for the athletic ones, then we can teach them to kick. But if, um, 
you know, if they can kick but they're not as athletic, then that's a harder thing to try and turn around. So I was like, let's just get the athletic ones mm. in the door and teach them some skills. That'll be quicker. Yeah, and I think that that's going to evolve because probably I don't know how long ago that was that you did oh, that. Eight years ago or something. Yeah, so there was a real gap in the, those girls' development programs because football may have only been played until they were 12 and then they were told you can't play with boys. So then there's a gap mm. in their development pathway and you're looking at them thinking, gee, I need to get them in the door. Well, let's go to the athletes and teach them how to kick. I think that may have evolved now without knowing too much. It may have evolved now to the point where those girls don't have a broken development pathway. Mm. So their mm. skills are actually really good because they've been able to apply their trade from the age of six unbroken yeah. now all the way through to when they're drafted nice um who who's helped you on your journey like who's been some really pivotal people that have given you some some great advice on the way oh so many i said earlier mum and dad absolutely in my upbringing um teachers through high school lecturers at university um, friends at university and then also friends that have, have been successful themselves in my friendship group um, my wife's been unbelievable support. <laughs> um, we've got two young kids. She runs her own business. She's so busy. Um, and I'm travelling frequently yeah. throughout the year, so the support I get from her and her advice is absolutely pivotal. Um, and then more specific to when I've been in the AFL system, I've just been so lucky. I mean, the Gold Coast, yeah, it's had high turnover, but it's had a lot of good people through the door that I've learnt from. Specific to recruiting, um, Scott Clayton and Dom Ambrojo got me in the door and I'm very thankful to them for the, the opportunity they gave me. Um, Scott's gone on to, to West Coast and now North Melbourne. Dom's the list manager of Brisbane. They were both really experienced before they came to the Suns. Um, at the moment, Craig Cameron's the list manager. Um, gives me so much opportunity to grow and learn and, and his wealth of knowledge is unbelievable. goes right back to when he was working in Melbourne and Richmond. And, um, yeah. and then... In, it's really funny in the recruiting industry we're all quite close we we spend a lot of time together um, on planes and airports and at games of footy and um, I'm really thankful to to the older guys that have they've been through the system and they want to give back and help us younger um, um, budding upcoming recruiting managers <laughs> that they want to give us their time and I'm really thankful is this to, even the people from the other clubs yeah yeah it is so um, oh, I could name them all but the Stephen Wellses of the world, Kenny Beatsons, the guys that have been doing it a really long time, give you their time and they're really um, really open with you about, you know, the journeys that they've had and some of the mistakes they may have made or what you can learn from. And, yeah, it's just a, it's a great industry, the recruiting industry. We're a little fraternity and I'm, I'm very thankful to be part of it. That, that seems really surprising to me because I would have mm. thought every AFL club is fiercely competitive with each other, but you guys have, as you say, got your own little club together. Yeah, and we don't talk specifics clearly on players that we like or where yeah. we might want to do in the draft, but we, we do talk holistically. We sit on panels together when we're discussing, um, so AFL Victoria might bring us in and say, hey, Vic Metro under-18s, can you guys help us with our squad? Um, you're out there watching and we want to bring players in that we think are draftable. Can you help us? Um, so we all sit on those panels together and we flesh out ideas and um, we really reflect on the talent pathway and where we think football's heading and um, we sit there together and, yeah, we... We don't solve all pro world's problems, but we um, we certainly discuss all things football, and it's it's great. Yeah, really lucky. Do you ever talk about players together? Is, is you know, there's obviously going to be a popular twenty players that everyone's going to want. Will you ever talk about them with each other at all? Uh, not specifically in regard to who we might like or what skill set they have yeah, or right. what we think they can do at the next level. No, we certainly avoid those conversations because yeah. that's given up um, delicate IP <laughs> that we could use against each or, other or in the upcoming trade period. you could give them the wrong period. info, maybe. Well, <laughs> we, um, we do have to go to trade period together every year, so they're bridges you don't want to burn. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're very conscious of that, but no, yeah, very lucky. It's a great industry. So if you're sitting with, say, four other uh, recruiters at a under-18s game and you spot a player who does something that you like, you just will keep that to yourself. You won't say that out loud? No, absolutely not. No, <laughs> if it's yeah. very quiet, there's a lot of scribbling or punching away on laptops. <laughs> so, yeah, no, very yeah. quiet. Yeah. You uh, you mentioned trade period just then. Um, we probably haven't really touched on it much, but how does that go down? Is it, it's, it's two weeks. Uh, is it two weeks? Yeah, 10 days, I think. 10 now. days. Yeah. Is it as intense as the media like plays it out to me like middle of the night calls and, and things like that or is it relatively low key like no there's absolutely middle of the night yeah calls. <laughs> yeah. yeah there are um so that is 10 days straight working like yeah you know, the just clock's under the ticking pump? oh it ebbs and flows absolutely yeah. but um i guess more and more that i've found is we're doing our work earlier so clubs are meeting you know now we're in we yep. sort of met with majority of the clubs already leading in. Um, you're getting an understanding of what every club's trying to achieve. We're quite open with each other on what we might like to achieve or or players on our list that might be moving on or um, players from their list that we might like to bring in. So we, 
um, yeah, it's a little bit of jostling, but it's also giving up enough information of, well, look, how can I help you and how can you help me? This is what we're trying to achieve and what we'll be able to do to help each other. And then once the, the bell dings of trade period and the, the gloves are off and it's game on and we all try and um, <laughs> yeah. get a win for our footy club, yeah. Do you have nice. any middle-of-the-night stories you're able to share with us? Oh, jeez. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of pick swaps that happen late, real late. So, I mean, the, the, the player trades get done and they look, they do go to the bell. Um, and then there's, there's a lot of pick swapping late. So when things start to unfold and you start to see, well, gee, this is where our picks might fall, that's not quite where I need to be to get the player I need to, I need to get in the draft, then it's it's on the phone and it's late night stuff and it all happens pretty quickly at the end, but it's good fun. And are you like physically all in a room? Like there's literally a bell at the front, you start, you go to rooms or is a lot of it virtual? Because it, it seems quite unusual, you know. Yeah, so the, through COVID it was all virtual, but they've brought back this year, we, we go in for day one. So you got a marvel, a, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a bit of an opportunity for media to, to do what they yeah. need to do and, and for clubs to, to front the media and discuss what we might be doing. So day one, certainly at Marvel. Um, and you might have meetings with clubs and go in and out of the corporate suites. You, you're allocated a corporate suite and you might jump into Carlton's or Adelaide's or yeah. have a bit of a chat. Um, and then we all break up for the next nine days and you do it. You, know, you might meet in cafes and that sort of thing yeah. with the club, but yeah, typically it's, it's not in a room. And then the last day we all come back um, and that's when you hear some pretty heated <laughs> corridor conversations if trades aren't getting done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, you, yep. do you have a favourite trade, a player that you got in that you never thought would be possible? Oh, on the spot. Or an unusual trade as well. <laughs> I needed a bit more heads up. Already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come back to me. Yeah. And what about fronting the media? How does that go? Uh, well, in trade period, Craig gets to do that job. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we Good. leave that one to Craig to front the media. Yeah. Um, we're happy to roll him out to that. Yeah. Uh, and then draft period, oh, it's great. It's good fun. You know, the media, they're all pretty good. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm just a bit youthful in the industry to think that they're still pretty good. But yeah. as I get a bit older, maybe ask me again. I do love the, uh, the AFL trade radio that rolls out during mm. trade period. It's nice, easy listening. They're all just begging for a trade to happen. <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah, they <laughs> come know. up with some pretty outlandish stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, you mentioned our good friend of the show, Kerry Gassner, who you spent some time with in the AFL hub during the COVID period. One of the things that stands out with Kerry, with everyone who comes into contact with him, is how connected to the work that he does. And we believe it's incredibly important that you know, if you're doing a job, you ought to be connected to what you do. Um, so if the, with regard to that, why do you do the job that you're in and what's your connection to the role? Yeah, no, it was a privilege to meet Kerry in the hub. Um, they looked after our family incredibly well, the integrity department um, through the AFL, and we were very fortunate to come across um, Kerry and Carla and, and Scotty as well. It was brilliant to be looked after by them. The connection to the role, it probably goes right back to, as I said, as a kid, you, you know, that deep burning desire to be involved in footy, passionate about football, but also passionate about the club you work for. I'm, I'm deeply passionate about the Suns and passionate about our success. And I feel like I'm I'm in a position now where I can influence that to some degree. It's, um, you know, within the constraints of drafting, but it, I feel like it's something I can do now that that's going to hopefully bring some success to our footy club. And I feel a, a great sense of pride and responsibility in that role that I can um, get us into our first, you know, play a role in getting us to our first final series, winning our first final, and then ultimately yeah, winning our first premiership. That would be absolutely unbelievable. What are the um, the little moments that make you proud to do the role that you're in? Oh, the real highlights are, are telling kids that they're drafted. Um, sometimes through our academy recently we've been able to do that um, by pre-listing them. So that's a phone call or, or going to their house. Um, prior to COVID we were able to go to their house and sit down in their lounge room and they didn't know it was coming and then you, you drop a bomb that they're on the list and the tears and the joy and you just see what the family's been through to support their child to get to that point to be drafted and then the dream becomes a reality and, I mean, they're the, the absolute nuggets that, that really stand out for me of gold that have just absolutely brilliant. To, um, you're not making the kid's dream come true because he's done that, but you're affording them that opportunity and, it's um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Who, who was the bloke from um, – was it Papua New Guinea recently? Yeah, Ace, that's – yeah, so Hoago Paul Awea is his name. Um, Ace, he's he absolute credit to himself and uh, that's been such an exciting journey to be a part of to – to play some role in in um, in Ace's journey of, of bringing him across from Papua New Guinea, um, him working his absolute butt off in our academy as a 16, 17-year-old and then him finally getting a spot on our list 
um, and flying over to to ask his father to sign the paperwork and all the visa <laughs> stuff. That's all. like I've spent more time on Ace than I have on the other fifty two kids <laughs> I've drafted because it's um, there's been a lot of forms and paperwork to fill out along the journey with his visas and and all sorts of things. But it's been so worth it, and to see him debut this year and and kick a goal with his first kick was just. I mean, that is that's probably the pinnacle of my experience to this point. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I remember nice. meeting uh, the bloke that he was living with uh, in Melbourne a couple of months ago. Um, I hear that he he wouldn't have got up an, uh, an opportunity unless this guy hadn't offered to give him a place to stay. Is that right? Yeah, Tim Searles, his name, and Chris, his wife, unbelievable family who took Ace in and have done in the past with a lot of Papua New Guinea um, kids that have come across. They're associated strongly with the Broad Beach Football Club and um, they had Ace's older brother, Hapex, across for many years prior to that, playing in the reserves and seniors at, at Broad Beach. And um, what they did for Ace when he came across, he could barely speak a word of English. Um, Chris is a teacher herself, so she sat down and she'd do readers with him and and help him learn the English language and, and to see where he is now because of the support he got like, from people like Tim and Chris. He's, he's unbelievable and that's just what's great about footy, isn't it? Um, football is such a great vehicle for people to come together and um, share in each other's successes. Nice. That's a pretty good story. Yeah. We love that. Um, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, what else can you be doing? Oh. I'd be doing everything I could to help my wife. She's got a really big <laughs> business. She's quite busy and I'd just be doing anything that Chloe needed. If she needed yeah. me to run errands or do emails or whatever it is, I'd be there supporting her, I think. Yep. Nice. What's the business? Insurance. She's an insurance broker. Nice. Yeah, insurance advisor, if you want to give it a plug. Yeah, yeah. give it a plug. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, jump on board. She's outstanding what she does. Fantastic. And finally, Cal, if you could go back to ACU or any other university and leave a note on the desk of a university student just to give them some advice and motivation, what would it be? Oh, probably back to the comment I made earlier around just give everything a go. Any opportunity that presents itself, jump in, you know, give it your all because, as I said, yeah, it might be just as important that day to find out what you don't want to do as it is you do want to do. So go and give it a crack. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. Pick up the next thing because that might be it. Fantastic. Well, Cal, it's been amazing having you on and just getting all the ins and outs of what it's like to work in recruitment in the AFL and the Gold Coast Suns. Um, some of the stuff in there just makes you want to go work in recruiting. So, so fun and, and just interesting. You're right in the thick of it. Um, but also your, your passion, what you do is awesome like it's absolutely infectious so it's uh it's been great chatting to you and good luck to the mighty sons and of course trade period and the draft coming up uh wish you nothing but the best but cheers thanks guys i really appreciate having me on it's been a privilege thanks well rubes i said at the start of the episode we were a little couple of pigs in mud uh, I think that's fair to say that we absolutely love that chat with Cal. We were like two little footy heads just loving every single thing he said about recruiting in footy. Uh, what were some things you, you loved about that one? Yeah, oink, oink, that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time I've ever heard oink, oink on the Sportsgrad podcast, but I kind of uh, like it. Uh, we've lost it here. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, some takeaways from Cal. Um his blueprint as to how to go about your uni days, I think, were fantastic. Yeah. It kind of took that first rejection of not getting into uni for him to really be motivated to say, hey, I can make something of my career for him to get that. If you can avoid that, fantastic. But, you know, go out there and say yes to everything. Go to that golf day where you might not know anybody, but you'll <laughs> meet some cool people in the process. If you can use the initiative and put yourself out there, get your name out there, that's where these opportunities arise from. So, um, yeah, get out there and get active whilst at uni. Yeah, I love it. He literally had the blueprint. Like, I think we said it in there, but, you know, he literally did everything that came in front of him. And like he said, just go to the golf day. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> There's guest speakers after time, so get involved. It's pretty bold if you want to spend 18 holes with somebody else. It's like a five-hour commitment. 100%. If you, you're hitting balls into the bushes like I am. Yeah, you'd want to get to know them, wouldn't you? You'd want to get on, you know. So anyway, um, the, the other part I think I loved was, you know, you don't need that uni degree, but he sort of, he said, you know, the, the key element to what he does is the relationships piece. And, you know, you've got to have relationships with the players, you know, your staff that's under you, but also the other recruiting managers across the league and everybody that you're dealing with in the AFL system because at the end of the day, you've got to all be mates because you're going to be working with each other every single year to get a win for your club and they all want to help each other at the end of the day. So that relationships piece is, is really key but I think it, it does give people who, who are tuning in, if you're interested in this space and you haven't 
done a certain degree, it doesn't matter. A- any experience is a great one if you can connect with people. Mm, 100%. And finally, the last takeaway from Cal is that if you get an opportunity like one to volunteer with the Gold Coast Suns or any AFL club for that matter, absolutely throw yourself into it, even if it doesn't make sense. And I love Cal's story where he's literally upheaved his life to move states to volunteer because he knew that mm. this was a role that could catapult him forward. And he's been, he's now the longest standing member of the Gold Coast Suns. Yeah. That doesn't happen if you think, oh, how am I going to afford it? You know, it's not paying me. I'll just wait for something else. And I, I come across so many people who, you know, get these opportunities, but they're like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't make financial sense. So I've got to do this. I've got to do that. You know, they mm. find an excuse some way. And I get that, like, it's hard. You've got to juggle a lot of different things. Yeah. Finance is obviously a big one too, but... My God, there's not too many opportunities in sport. So if you get one, just find a way to make it work. Well, like, and he even he even mentioned it. It's like I went up there and volunteered for the Suns and I was working in retails, working behind a bar. Mm. Like there are so many ways that you can put your whole self into an opportunity like that mm. and make money on the side. Like think about all the casual roles that are out there that you could also do in mm. sport that can help support you do that. You need to work behind a bar, fantastic. It's mm. great work. You'll enjoy it knowing that there's a goal at the end of the day. So I found that awesome. Yeah. Like, what a story. Me too. And to be honest, like if you get an opportunity like that and you don't go into it head first, probably time to reflect on like, all right, what do I actually want to do? Because if it mm. doesn't like strike you straight away and be like, this is it, this is going to be awesome, I'll do whatever I can to make it work, yeah. probably not your thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's a ripper story and good on Cal for, for sharing that with us. Um any other episodes around recruitment or anything mm. around the AFL? Yeah, Binuk Kadidawaku from the Adelaide Crows in episode 142. Yep. He talks about the analytics side of things behind list management and he's got his own stories from the AFL trade period yeah. too. Um, he's doing some really interesting stuff whereby he's contracting contracting himself out to the Adelaide Crows whilst also doing his, his – uh, NBA, uh, NBA mm. over in the US at Duke University. Duke, yeah. yeah. Uh, the other one is um, if you want to hear from a performance analyst and their um, point of view on how analytics affect AFL as well, go back to episode 10 with Lauren Boothby from the North Melbourne Football Club. Yep. Um, she shares some good insights into the analytics on game day at an AFL club too. Awesome. Well, some great episodes for people to uh, sink their teeth into. Uh, they're absolutely awesome and it's in a it's a fascinating space, which we can both admit. We absolutely love that. Mm. Well, connect with us on LinkedIn, plus be sure to jump into the SportsGrade community. We would love to chat with you in there. So head to our website at sportsgrade.com.au slash community to join or head to the link in our show notes. Also, if you love the show, you know what to do. Give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 